Okay, a man teaching on God's purpose and design for women. What could possibly go wrong? If you get your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. If you are listening in for the first time this morning, we are in a series entitled Beautiful Design. What we've been talking about is God's purpose and design for men and women and how we're supposed to interact with one another. Up to this point, we have talked about God as the creator of the universe, heavens and earth, and everything that exists in it. That's uh, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And because of that fact, questions about origin, who am I? Questions about purpose, why am I? And questions of design, how am I supposed to work, are resolved because God who made it all gets the final say on those who, why, and how questions. We then talked about us, humans, men, and women, being made in the image of God, and how that makes us different than every other living thing. We have a value and a dignity above and over everything else, and a responsibility to relate properly to each other to allow humankind to flourish. Then two weeks ago, E busted us full into God's idea of what a man is and how man is supposed to function. And that was a pretty stiff challenge for us guys, because a lot of women probably were looking around after that message going, okay, okay, well, if that's what men are supposed to be, where are all of them? So I kind of addressed that last week. Men have some hurdles, primarily the result of the introduction of sin into the world. And just to remind you, to kind of catch you up, here's what we found. God's role for the man is something we defined as headship. And here's how we define that. Headship means protecting, providing, loving, self-sacrificing, serving, giving, putting others first, and taking responsibility for the well-being and development of others. We are unapologetic about that definition because there's no sane way to argue against it in any domain. Whether you want to look at it sociologically or economically, no one can say with any intellectual credibility that homes are better places when men are absent when they fail to protect, fail to provide, fail to love, fail to care for, fail to give to, fail to serve, fail to sacrifice themselves as heads of households. Nobody argues that what's best for kids is fatherless environments, that what's best for women is to be left completely alone to fend for themselves in a society where men have no interest in being what God designed them to be. Because the truth is this, where men refuse to be men as God designed them, things crumble. They fall apart. You get yourself into the poorest communities imaginable, here or overseas, and here's what you're going to find. Men who have failed and leave behind fatherless children, broken and hurting women, and failed marriages. Even in a lot of households where the man is still around, he's often an absentee. Not really invested in his wife or his family, nearly as much as he is in his job, his hobbies, or his stuff. Now, with all that said, I've got to say this to single moms or widows, because you need to hear this. Where the ideal is lacking, where that man as God designed him to be is not present in your life, in your home, God's grace can abound. So don't lose heart. All through the Bible, we see moms falling at the feet of God and pleading for the lives of their sons and daughters, and God responds. So maybe some of you ladies got involved with what looked to you like a man acting as God designed men to act, but he ended up not being one. 
And you get to find out the hard way that there's a difference between a boy and a man. And the difference is this. Boys take and godly men give. If you just think about what marks an 8-year-old boy or a 12-year-old boy or some 18-year-old boys, they're takers, not givers. That's mine. What about, what about me? What about mine? And that's not how the Bible describes a godly man. And now you find yourself alone, maybe with a child or maybe with children. Everything I see in Scripture says that God is capable of entering that space and bringing mercy and grace to take over that role as the man in your life to love you unconditionally. So do not lose heart. The godly men, those who are carrying out the design, the purpose God made men for, they're the ones that sacrifice themselves for the good of others, the wife, the kids, the church, the community. Self-sacrificing love is a mark of biblical manhood, and it is the only way that God's idea of headship is ever to be exercised or ever to be practiced. Because when boys pretending to be men try to exercise headship, they tend to be controlling. Why? Because they are takers, not givers. Let us pray for the rest of this message as we get into the whole purpose of God's design. God, we pray that you would descend on us now, that you would speak to us in ways that maybe we have never heard before, never understood before. Give us your understanding. Give us your heart for each other as men and women. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, with all that as a backdrop, I just want to grab that same text that we use for men because it also talks about the purpose God has for women. Let's look at it together. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Here's what we read. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She's a lot better than all the other animals God paraded by me. I didn't see anything in there I want to snuggle with, but here is woman. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then God puts this little parenthetical in there. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, a couple things might be useful to just get our hands around as we kind of dig into this this text. If you look at kind of the ancient Near East, you look at manuscripts, you look at kind of thinking, you look at how the culture sort of moved, are you going to see some things that are different about that stuff that we see in this text. The first one is this. There's only one Eve that God made. may sound like a no-brainer to us, but that's how God set it up. But you need to know that if you read the Bible, within six generations of the creation of the universe, mankind had dumped God's best for man and woman and turned to polygamy. And in the world of polygamy, women were viewed as property, as cattle. The more women you had, the wealthier you are. But God says point blank, look, I know where mankind is going to head as it rebels against me. And I'm telling you, Adam, all that you need for flourishing as a man 
is Eve, and God creates one woman. He pulls her from the man's side, which connotes a degree of intimacy and closeness. That's the first thing. The second thing we need to grasp is this. It wasn't that long after sin gets introduced, which is in Genesis chapter 3, that it would have been absolutely considered crazy talk to consider a man leaving his family and holding fast to his wife. No way that would have happened because the woman was brought into the man's family. But God's going, no, 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 no. Dude, time to leave mama. That's not how it reads in your text, but that's kind of what's happening. It's time to leave mom and dad. You, you now have a wife. Yeah, you're part of a bigger family, but your loyalty, son, isn't to mom and dad anymore. Your loyalties belong to your wife. I, I got to tell you, as a person who religiously reads uh, advice columnists just to see where the culture is headed and what the culture is advising our young people, the advice columnists deal all the time with letters from women who have husbands that have not left mama, have not left his original family, and who is not holding fast to his wife. Okay, with those little tidbits as kind of backdrop, remember that the man was placed in the garden, commanded by God to work it and keep it, and that's where we got our whole concept of, of headship. Those two phrases, working and keepeth, those are what helped us define the man. He was given that assignment before the woman even showed up. But it was clearly not good for him to do this assignment alone. So, voila, women. Now, what we have coming up is a phrase concerning the purpose and design for women. It's a simple phrase, like it's all good, right? And ladies, i got to tell you, you are predisposed not to like this phrase. That's because there have been a lot of boys who were takers pretending to be real men, and the feminist movement grew up out of some very righteous reaction to that. So look, I know our culture has schooled you against biblical thinking about you and your design. But listen, if I've got any credibility with you here, can I just ask that before you light the flamethrowers, because I would really love to walk out of here alive this morning, okay? <laughs> I'd just like to ask you to allow me the opportunity to lay out for you what God has going on with this phrase. And just so you know, I was concerned enough about getting this message exactly right that I actually preached it to my wife, Jackie, in advance. And she gave it a two thumbs up. So I'm hoping that that will give me a little street cred with you as we get into this, a little patience, and see how we go until we end, right? Now this phrase, every word in this phrase matters. If we don't have all the pieces, we're going to miss what God really has to say about his purpose and design for women. So for a few minutes, I just want you to do this. I want you to put aside whatever you think, whatever you've been thinking, any preconceived notions you have, and see if this whole thing doesn't make sense by the time we are finished. And here's the phrase. It's used twice in this text. The phrase is this, a helper fit for him. A helper fit for him. We're going to break that phrase into two distinct ideas, a helper and fit for him. Both of them are going to matter. Let's, let's take helper first. Now, the word helper is a difficult, kind of a tricky word in the Hebrew because it's a highly contextualized word. And what I mean by that is that the only way to really make sense of what this word means is to look at the words around it. Now, to explain, let me just give you an English equivalent of kind of a difficult word. Take the word, English word, fast. It's a hard word. It, it can mean speed, right? It can mean abstaining from food, not eating. It can mean to be stubborn or unrelenting, like to hold fast to an idea, right? It can mean a type of shady deal, someone who operates fast and loose. 
The only way to know what the word fast means is to find that baby in a sentence and get the context. Then the meaning becomes clear. Like if I say, well, I went to the Wizards game and man, well, of course, I'm not going to be doing that now because the playoffs are in session and the Wizards didn't make it. But let's say I'd gone to a regular season game when the Wizards were still playing. I went to a game and I'd go, man, that John Wall, he's fast. Now, nobody's thinking, Dwayne, are you saying that he didn't eat anything while he was at the game? You mean he's a slippery con artist kind of character? No, no, you know exactly what I'm talking about because the context dictates the meaning. Yeah, I mean, he's running fast. He's quick. If I say, look, I heard about a woman who's going on a fast to protest the killing of seal pups. You don't think she's doing wind sprints in your front yard. You know this. She's, oh, she's not eating food. If I tell you about a pastor who's holding fast to biblical truth, you don't think I'm talking about speed or eating or shady deals. See, the other words around the word fast dictates the meaning. This Hebrew word, ezer, is very similar. It's used throughout the Old Testament, and the context always matters. Now, here's the big debate around this word help or helper. Is this saying, in agreement with Senator Corbin on our slide, that women have as helpers an inferior or subordinate or lesser role to the man in God's design? Short answer, absolutely not. We've already covered that women are made in God's image, just like men. They are equal in dignity and worth and importance and value. So that's not the issue. And since men are to exercise headship by self-sacrificing love and service, it's pretty clear that the women are those who men are to serve. Difficult to arrive at any conclusion that women are in a subordinate role. After all, in God's design, it's men who are supposed to be serving them. So what does this word helper mean in this context? So let's dig in. First thing is this. When we see the word helper used, the context in Scripture where it's used most often is talking about how God relates to or engages with man or God helping man. Let me just give you uh, three of those texts. Exodus 18.4. It says this. And the name of the other, Eliezer, that Azer word, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So this guy's name, Eliezer, is translated, For the God of my father was my help. So his name is translated talking about God being a helper. Here's another. Deuteronomy 33, 7. It says this, And this he said of Judah, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him into his people. With your hands contend for him and be a help against his adversaries. So it's asking God to be our helper. One more. Psalm 33, 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. So here's what I would say. God, being called a helper throughout the scriptures, brings a special honor to that position of helper. Since God is called the helper, a helper cannot be inherently inferior. So if a woman has been made a helper fit for man, a woman as helper to the man cannot mean that the woman is inferior in any way. Now with that said, what does it mean to be a helper? Well, in every context in which the word azer is used, and even how we use the word helper today, 
Helper denotes that there's someone helping somebody else who has a primary responsibility for something. Are you tracking with me? To be a helper is to help someone who has a primary responsibility to accomplish something or do something. So let me give you an example. Uh, I'm preparing a Sunday message. I'm working on it at home. And uh, if I go to my wife and I said, hey, Jack, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with this. I'm kind of trying to get my hand around this concept. Could you help me get a beat on this? What just happened? Well, what's di what didn't happen is I'm not asking her to do my job of preaching because I still have the primary responsibility to preach. Now, I'm, I'm asking her to help me accomplish something I have a responsibility for, but something that I'm either too weak or too dumb or too insufficient in some way to be able to do without help. So, I ask. Or, she sees that I'm too weak, too dumb, or too insufficient, and she offers to help. See, strength is not the question here. In fact, the one who's being helped, me, is the weaker one who needs help in order to execute my primary responsibility. Bottom line then, many men in many ways are the weaker because the woman was provided specifically to help them. And men are going to be incapable of fulfilling their primary responsibility without that assistance, that help. So we need to get it that the destination of helper is in no way inferior at all. It is to come alongside, to be a partner, a key player in that man's ability to even do what he's supposed to do. And to suggest that a woman who is helping is somehow inferior to the one with primary responsibility means you're really arguing that God is inferior to man because he deigns to help us. I, I sure hope you see how absurd that is. Now, she's also a helper fit for him. Let's look at that last part of that phrase. She's not identical to him. If she was simply identical to him, man wouldn't need her. And she wouldn't need him. She is uniquely fitted, uniquely e equipped in ways the man isn't and in ways the man desperately needs. So this phrase, fit for him, is very interesting. It can be translated suitable for him. It carries the connotation that Adam, a man, has some holes in his armor, some chinks in his armor, weaknesses, if you will. But, but listen, along comes Eve, a perfect fit to help, to complement. And what she brings makes his strengths stronger and fills in for his weaknesses. Together, they form a fantastic partnership. They are designed to complement each other, not to compete against each other. Now, it really doesn't talk about the weaknesses of the woman. But the concept of the perfect fit implies that the relationship is complementary. The weaknesses of the one are filled in with the strengths of the other, and the strengths of the other are made even stronger by the impact of the other. So, that's the phrase. Let's talk about application, how this looks in real life. Now, what we did when we went through the, the man was to look at this in terms of the home and the church. So, let's do the same thing here with women. What would it be like for a woman to be a helper fit for the man in the home with regard to God's command on his life to exercise headship so that the family might flourish? Now, if you know your Bible, you're probably fearful right now that I'm going to go to Ephesians 5.20 because Ephesians 5.20 is every woman's favorite verse to hate. You remember, right? Wives, submit to your husband. We're not going to go there. And a good reason. 
Here's the problem with focusing on that verse. Because five verses earlier, in Ephesians 5, 15, God just told the husbands and wives to submit to each other. And the rest of that entire passage is simply going into detail about how that mutual submission should look for each of them, both men and women. So, men, we don't come home and go, this is what we're doing, woman. Man, that's stupid. That's not headship. That's bullying. And you're not going to get away with bullying God's daughters for very long before he lights you up. And the submission that God calls men to is, frankly, terrifying. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, willing to die for her. Listen, guys, it doesn't get any harder than that. woman has it easy comparatively in submission, just supposed to be nice to us. <laughs> be kind, right? So I want to look at how this complementary relationship kind of plays out in action. We taught through the book of Titus last year, so this uh, text we're going to look at should be pretty familiar territory for many of you. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 2, here's what God says. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. That's a pretty good definition of a mature, godly man goes on in verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now listen, if the only thing you got out of that text was that you're not supposed to work outside the home, You've focused on the wrong thing. A lot of women in the Bible times worked. They just primarily did it from their home. So this, there's just not a decree that women are not supposed to work, okay? So don't lose focus on what we're looking for here. Looking for complementary activity relationships. Titus goes on in verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech, that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So, let's look at this in regard to men and women complementing each other in this relationship. If you have men who are being trained in the stuff this text says they should be trained in, older men who get it, who live it, and who are training younger men in it, hey, we're going to be self-controlled. We're not going to fly off the handle. If you just Think for a second about how much damage men who lack self-control can do with their words, with their actions, with their size, with their intimidation. Wouldn't it be better, right, if they had been trained in the art of not losing control? What if they modeled good works? What if they spent their lives serving the king and the kingdom? What if they walked in integrity and dignity? What if they were sound in speech and used their mouths to build up rather than tear down. See, where you have a man functioning and growing in this, and I, and I say growing because thanks to sin being present in the world, no man's going to do this perfectly. But let's say he's growing in this. It's going to be a good thing. And then he gets into the list of women. Older women, training younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to work at home. See, what's, what's happening here is that a woman has learned how to do this in her own life. She's totally plugged in to the discipleship process that's working at home. 
She's partnered alongside her husband. She's setting the spiritual climate of the home, working with him, encouraging these things. Hey, let's get together. Daddy's going to open the Word of God. Let's, let's gather together. Let's pray together. And she's going to pass what she's learned, that training along to the next generation of women. And the last thing it says there is for women, uh, they're to be kind and submissive to their husbands. Look, we've already talked about this. Everyone is supposed to be submissive to everyone else. So that's not the new thing here. But the be kind part is what's really interesting to me. L listen, ladies, the amount of power that God has given you, wives in particular, over men, over your husbands, is staggering. Uh, my wife is actually pretty amazed at how I can keep on functioning in the face of criticism. I learned a long time ago at the workplace that you need to develop a thick skin, and it hasn't changed a whole lot when you're doing God's work in ministry. When you preach the Bible, some people are going to love it, and some people are going to hate it. You're going to hear things like, well, I don't like it that we're not in a church building. I don't like it that you don't wear a suit. I don't like it that you use slides. I don't like it that your message is longer than 15 minutes. I don't like your sense of humor. I don't like it that you say Jesus is the only way, and on and on and on. See, I'll listen. I'll kind of see what's there. I'll make adjustments as God leads, and I'll get on with my life, and I'll sleep just fine. But listen, Jackie can crush me. See, she knows my every weakness, every bent, every shortcoming, every inconsistency. She knows everything. And so her words can literally crush me. Her words can keep me up at night going, oh my gosh, really? Is that what is inside of me? Why? Because the intimacy and closeness that God intended and the helper fit for me in Jackie does not mean it's always going to be fun and games. Complementary relationships can be a load of fun. But when it's dealing with the weaknesses I have that she's been given to me to fill in or to draw attention to or to correct, well, it's ouch time. But look, if you are wise as a man, you will cherish it all from the most fun to the most painful, because without it, you will never be. I will never be fully competent to do what God designed me to do and to be. And the Bible just said here that where we're doing this, where men are pushing toward this, and women are gladly helping as partners, our opponents will have nothing to say, and the enemies of the Word of God will have nothing to criticize. This is not like the Marco Jarek quote up on the screen where he says he has nothing bad to say, but then basically, you read the rest of the quote, he's basically dissing the team. No, no, if you come into my house, you're going to see my wife's face beaming. She knows I love her. She knows I'm for her. She knows I find her wildly attractive. She's not wondering where my head is, not wondering where my affections are. She knows I'm for her, gifts being used. She knows I'm crazy about her. You know what kind of a woman I like? I like Jackie. Dwayne, do you like blondes or brunettes? Long hair, short hair? My response? Just tell me what color Jackie's hair is this month and how long it is. That's what I like. Men, listen. If your woman knows this, if your wife knows this, then anytime she hears anything crazy like, you need to be liberated from your man, it sounds totally ridiculous. I'm telling you. If you take the discipline that you have in following your favorite sports team or your favorite hobby and you put that attention on your wife, she will not think you're such a jerk. If we live this way, what would the world have to say about us? Only good things. Now, that's 
complementary relationships in the home. How about the church? Well, we clearly see in the New Testament that women are needed and necessary for the church to flourish. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, women are almost certainly included in the list of Christians who were dispersed throughout the Roman Empire thanks to persecution that sprung up in, in Jerusalem, and they went throughout the Roman Empire teaching the gospel. We know from Titus that older women are to teach younger women. Priscilla and her husband Aquila taught Apollos. That's Acts chapter 18. Philip had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Women prayed and prophesied in the gathering of the church in Corinth. So, women are not only needed and necessary, they are indispensable and essential in the life of the church. So, ladies, grow in a knowledge of the Word of God. Strengthen your minds. Get in the deep end of the pool. Grow theologically. Grow in your gifting. Practice and exercise your gifts to make disciples for the glory of God. It starts at home. Be the type of women who are iron that sharpens the spirits of your husband. Pour into your children. And then take it outside with the extended family, with any male friends or girlfriends that you have. If, if you're a little older, have young women that you hang out with. Now, before we end this message, I gotta chat with single ladies. If the scripture is saying here that the purpose of the woman is to be a helper fit for him, and you're not married, how does this work? What does it mean to be a helper if you're single? Can you even be a helper if you're single? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to sit around and do nothing while you wait for a husband. In the Old Testament, the blessing was children. In the New Testament, the blessing is disciples. It means understanding that the kingdom of God is at hand. It means giving yourself over to the things of God, having yourself wrung out, engaged in pushing back the darkness, expanding the reach of God on this planet. Look, we don't, we don't know how many days we have left on this place. So give yourselves over to training younger women, teaching, exercising your gifts in any way and every way possible. The only caveat we ever see in the Bible around this whole concept is that women are not to exercise their gifts in a way that emasculates men or undercuts the purpose God gave them. So run and teach and train and have yourself poured out for the glory of God and the good of the church. You are absolutely indispensable. We have to have you. Quit sitting around just waiting for some doofus to ask you out. Now, if you're single, you might ask this. Well, if it's not good for a man to be alone, then is being single wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Short answer, no. The Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to tell the church at Corinth that being single actually has a unique blessing. And that blessing was that you are able to live with an undivided heart. Here's how he writes. I want you to be free from anxieties. So obviously, they have corresponded with him, expressing the concern they have that many of them are single. And how can they possibly be of use in the kingdom? Here's what Paul says. I want you to be free from anxieties. Don't, don't worry about this. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. That is, a Christian person can focus about the things of God, how to please God. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. See, it's not saying he's not concerned about the Lord. He's just got the Lord, and he's got this wife to take care of. The unmarried or betrothed woman 
is anxious about the things of the Lord. She can be totally focused on that, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things also, how to please her husband. And he says this, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to God. So, singleness, Paul says, is an opportunity to be undivided, to focus on the things of God exclusively. See this, when I'm preparing a message, I'm not just studying for myself. I'm not just studying even for you guys. I'm also studying in how do I engage my wife? How do I engage my children, my grandchildren? How to establish a rhythm at home that says, Jackie, you, of all people on earth, are of utmost value to me. So I'm a divided man. I'm supposed to be. But for the single man, the single woman, you don't have to be divided. Your attention doesn't have to be split. Your focus on God can be at maximum strength. You can focus on Him full time. So for single ladies, I would encourage you this way. And I'm going to stand my ground that Jerry Maguire is a crock. Look, you, you may find a man that can compliment you and that you can compliment. You may find that. But you will never find a man who completes you. You'll never find a man who completes you because that is God's job. God's job alone. Now, do I think it's a good and right thing to desire a husband? Sure, that's not wrong. But it's not okay just to sit around and wait for one as if God is waiting for you to find a husband before you can even be used by him. No way. You should leverage your singleness by pouring into kids and younger women and making disciples. And and I'm talking all ages here. You, you, You know what I've learned by observation? Elementary school age girls think junior high school girls are cool. Junior high school girls think high school girls are cool. High school girls think 20-year-old girls in college are incredible, even if they're not. Look, they think you're cool. Leverage it. Make disciples. Don't sit around moping, thinking, well, gosh, all my friends have men. I just have a cat. Stop it. First of all, get rid of the cat and get a real pet, okay? But listen, get into discipling younger gals for the glory of God. It's something guys can't do, guys shouldn't do, that it's dangerous for guys to do. Right? If I show up in an all-girls school hanging around the fence, I'm going to get arrested, right? There's places I am not wise to be hanging out, but girls, ladies can. See, my, my daughter, Amy, is a wonderful practitioner of this. So I'll tell you when it started. It started when she was in junior high. A couple of Christian senior high girls just took her under their wings. She loved it so much that she decided she was going to play it forward. And she developed some really close relationships with a herd of younger girls. And when I say herd, I do mean herd. You you need to think migrating wildebeest, okay? A huge following. She's a flaming extrovert, and her network was enormous. You don't have to go that far. You introverts, just grab a few. But let me tell you. Those relationships carried on as those girls got into high school and Amy went on to college. They carried on when those girls went to college and Amy graduated and got married. And they're carrying on today as those women are graduating and dating and getting married and having kids. The influence she has had in keeping girls from making huge mistakes and being for them when they did has just been incredible. So, can you desire to be married? 
Yeah, sure. But how about this? How about being, as a single person, the kind of woman the godly guy you want would find attractive? The kind of woman who will be able to come alongside that man as a full partner in God's plan for that marriage and compliment him, strengthen him in his strengths, and fill in for him when he's weak. Grow in being that person. But listen, do not, in your desire to be married, lose the real you and the very real purpose God has for you in the here and now as a single person. Be undivided in being about the Lord's business, because God can use you mightily in hundreds of different ways. Like he's using our favorite Young Life leader, Anna Martinez, right here in Falls Church. She's on the left in this photo. So let me end this way. Your value and your worth is not found in marriage. It's not found in whether or not you have a man. Your beauty and your loveliness and your value derive from this, that the God of the universe has designed you. He's wired you. He's shaped you. He's placed you exactly where he wants you on this earth at this time to fill the specific need he's equipped you for so that humanity would flourish. Do not waste your time just waiting for a man. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us, for your word for us that tells us who we are, why we are, and how we're to function. Thanks for loving us enough to, to tell us what's true about us. Lord, I pray for the men here this morning that you would get a hold of us. Help us to be the men we're supposed to be. Forgive us when we have failed to exercise our responsibility and made it so difficult for the women in our lives to live up to the design and purpose you have for them. And for the women here, Lord, I pray that you would help them to grab onto what is fantastic and marvelous about the way they've been made by you. May you let them just flourish Give them men that understand what their purpose is and design and and compliment them on how to do that, that they would compliment each other in those relationships and you would cause flourishing to happen in our homes, in our churches, in our communities, yea, even in our nation. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.